I was very affected myself. I imagine many of you were as well with that new hymn that we're singing, Speak, O Lord. Um, what, a, what a great hymn capturing really what our hearts are as we come before God's Word. Um, he is a faithful God. And as we come before Him on Sundays and worship Him together, a very important aspect of what we do is coming before Him in His Word and through His Word. He's a God who loves to speak to us. And He he does that week after week. We are just so blessed with that privilege of having His Word and having Him speak to us. So as we come to His Word today, that's our prayer and our heart once again as we look today's message and we'll look we'll read the text in a moment verses 1 to 11 but this message is the uh, one of the last ones in our series on the pathways of grace we've been talking about these different means of grace that God gives us whereby we can walk with him and fulfill his purposes and so we've spent time talking about his word and prayer we've talked about fellowship And this last group of messages, starting with Jeff's message last week, which he uh, blessed us with, such an excellent message on being salt and light. Uh, This last group of messages is on witnessing, witnessing together to the truth of the Gospel and the life of Christ in and through our lives. You know, this topic, though, of witnessing or evangelism, For many of us, it can be a a topic that brings confusion or shame or guilt often. When when we hear someone's going to be talking on evangelism, sometimes our initial reaction is just like, oh boy, I mean, I want to hear about this, I want to do more, but I'm just so aware of how far short I fall. And we can feel like that, but God wants to help us in that place. He wants to meet us. And He wants to to speak to us, speak the truth to us, and lead us beyond that. That sense of guilt, that sense of inadequacy, that sense of confusion. What is this about? Exactly what does it look like to be evangelistic as a church or as an individual? God wants to help us to move beyond that so we understand and are walking in these things in His truth and in grace. And because He wants that, In His faithfulness, He's given us His Word. And by the power of the Spirit, He wants to speak to us and help us in this area. He wants to come and help us on Monday morning when we're there with our coworker and thinking, oh, I should be doing something, but what and how am I to do it? Or when we're relating to our neighbor or when we're praying for a relative. He wants to help us. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet me at that moment. And so He's given us His Word and He's given us His Spirit. He's given us our corporate gathering to help us in that. So as we come before His Word, let's come with that expectation that He's a living God, He's active, and He wants to equip us and empower us to fulfill His purposes, as that song said. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank You for this. This all is of Your grace. You love us and You want to form us into the image of Christ. We thank You for that, O God. It's all of grace and mercy. Thank You for Your Word and Your Spirit, Your presence by God the Spirit here in our midst and in each of us. Lord, we thank You. 
And so we come to You and we thank You for the blood of Christ that covers us, that makes us able to come before the throne, that has purchased gifts to be given to Your people for Your glory. Thank You, Lord. That's our confidence. Lord, my confidence is in You. I'm weak and sinful, yet, Lord, thank You for Your blood, Lord Jesus, and Your life and Your power, Holy Spirit. So come, Lord, and speak to us. Change our lives. Teach us about this topic of witnessing and and Your mission in the world, Lord. And change us for Your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 1. Looking at verses 1 to 11, then we're going to focus on one particular verse for this message. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. To them He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, He said, you heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 1, 1 through 11. It's a wonderful section of scripture. In this wonderful book, the book of Acts, and our care groups have been spending some time in the book of Acts. I, I believe Londonderry is still uh, in the book of Acts, having a great time, and the Havel group has finished up our time in that. And just a great book that's given to us to, to see the mission that Jesus started, that He started to fulfill, to see this mission carried on by the early church. And just watching through the book of Acts as the Lord continues to work in this great mission of building the kingdom. The, we, as we read through Acts, we just see the word of the Gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection, preached from uh, town to town, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the, just about the end of the earth, to Rome. It goes all the way to Rome. And as it goes, it goes in the power of the Spirit. And it, and it turns the world upside down. That's really what happens. And that's actually what Paul's accused of at one point, of turning the world upside down through this Gospel that he's preaching. So the Gospel goes forth in this book and incredible stuff happens. And that's what, that's what the book's about. And this section I want to talk about as well. So Jesus has, in this particular section, Luke is introducing the, the book and, and he brings up 
the reality that Jesus has died and has risen, and then He's appeared to people. He's appeared to over 40 days, to over 500 people. He's offered proofs, clear evidence of His resurrection. Christianity is is not an unreasonable faith. It's a faith that's reasonable, and there are proofs in history and in what happened in the book of Acts that are clear affirmations of the truth of the Gospel. So He offered many proofs. And then He tells His disciples to to hang out in Jerusalem to receive the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit. This promise that was alluded to and given in the Old Testament. He says, wait for this. The, the wonderful privilege of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the context to what I want to focus on. I want to focus on particularly verse 8. But leading up to verse 8, His disciples are are there and He's spending time. This is the risen Savior in their midst. And it's been 40 days that He's been with them and appearing probably at different times and, and fellowshipping and speaking about the Kingdom of God. Now this is the risen Savior who's speaking about the Kingdom of God. And He's talking now about the Holy Spirit, this promise of the Holy Spirit being given to the people. And all those promises in the Old Testament of, of the pe- people of God as a whole being prophets. Moses, that was his desire that all God's people would would be prophets. And in Joel 2, it talks about that. And the promise of having the, the law written on our hearts, the promise of a new creation, taking these stony hearts and making them soft in Ezekiel. All these promises, Jesus is talking about that. And the disciples are thinking, actually rightly I think, in what they say in verse 6. All this stuff has gone on. The Messiah has come. He's died. And now He's risen. And now He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. This fulfillment of the promise. And so His disciples asked, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a good question. That's an appropriate question. They're not missing it actually because they understood their Bibles. These guys were Bible-saturated people. They grew up in the culture, the Jewish culture. And they knew the Word. They memorized the Word. Uh, many of the, the scholars actually would memorize the entire Old Testament. That's amazing. I mean, they would have it memorized. Um, that's quite a feat. But they, they were saturated in the Word of God and they knew the promises of God. That, that God, what He started and began with Adam, even though Adam had fallen, and what He started and began with Israel, even though Israel had fallen into sin, He was going to complete. He, and over and over again in the prophets, He he talked about this. Finishing this work. Restoring the kingdom. And making a time when, when the people of God would walk with God and love Him from their hearts and, 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 never, and no longer see death and sorrow. And so they, they thought, wow, well, this must be it. Lord, is, is this it now? Is this going to happen now? They, they had grown up knowing these stories. You, you know that we grow up and we play games and pretend to be Superman and Spider-Man. I don't know what you guys pretended when you were a kid, but... But I, I was, it was Superman, and Spider-Man was my hero. And, and I have a debate with my kids. If Superman fought Spider-Man, who would win? I think Spider-Man would win, actually. But, but uh, yeah. <laughs> because Spider-Man is, uses like his intelligence and stuff. Superman just like relies on his raw strength. And he always gets in trouble with kryptonite, like every single time. So all Spider-Man would have to do is do some kryptonite webs or something, and that would be the end of it. Anyhow, so we play, <laughs> we play those games with Spider-Man and Superman. And we pretend to be Superman or 
Spider-Man and so forth. Well, these guys grew up probably pretending to be Messiah Man. That's what they had lived for and grown up. And so now, after all these years, the Messiah is here. And so they're, they're thinking, is this it? And so they asked this great question. They asked him the question, are you going to fulfill all those promises? Are you going to restore Israel and, and make it a new kingdom? And look at his answer. Verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Is that a yes or a no? Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is that a yes or a no that he gives? He doesn't give a yes or a no answer, right? He answers differently. And partly because it wasn't, it wasn't the right way to answer yes or no because they weren't quite understanding all that God had in mind. He has more in mind than they probably conceived, though certainly he does have in mind the, the restoration of the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom. But there's more to it. He wants to do something else. So he first says, well, the timing of what you're saying is up to God. I, it's, it's by His own authority. It's not for you to know. I'm not going to tell you. I, and I think there's, there's warrant to say Christ restricted that knowledge to the Father. I don't know how that, under, how that works, but, but that was of the Father. That was His prerogative. It's not for you to know that. Now, that's just a helpful thing for us as we kind of are in a day and age where people try to figure out the date when it's all going to finish. So it's not for you to know. But then he goes on to say more. So he says, first, it's not for you to know. But, but, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's part of His answer as well. And what He's doing there, I believe, is He's, is he's correcting them. First, He's informing them it's not for you to know the time. But this is how it's going to happen. There's more to it, guys, than just immediately and quickly fulfilling that promise. There's this plan that God has. God is interested in bringing the good news of Christ, of bringing the kingdom to the whole earth. The nations, the the whole earth, have been on the heart of God from the very beginning. He has had on His mind from the very beginning that He would reach all the nations of the world. That from every tribe and language and people, there would be people who are His belonging to Him. And so what Jesus is doing is He's helping them understand that it's more than just ethnic Israel that God is interested in. He wants the entire people of God, the people from all nations, to be brought in. He wants people from every ethnic group, every tribe, every language to come and worship and be part of what He's doing. So, He says, guys, this is how I'm going to fulfill the kingdom. Yes, there'll be a time when I finish it all and restore and we complete it. But in the meantime, the kingdom comes through you. Through you bringing the good news. Through you being my witnesses. Through you in the power of the Spirit witnessing throughout the whole earth. To sum up Acts 1.8 and really this entire message, I believe we are called to build the kingdom We are called to build the kingdom of God through our spirit-empowered witness. 
We are called to build the kingdom of God. Each of us. It's an amazing thing that we are called to be builders of the kingdom. And it's to come through our spirit-empowered witness. And what do we witness to? We witness to the King and His deeds. We build the kingdom by witnessing to the King and His deeds. That's what He was calling the disciples to. We are participants in His kingdom building. That's so important for us to understand. That's so important for us to grasp. We need to know our purpose as a church and as individuals. That God has called us to build the kingdom. And we need to understand that. That that it is an amazing truth, an amazing privilege that we have. I believe some of our discouragement and our confusion in evangelism comes because we are not informed properly. We don't understand these truths. And so we're not quite sure what we're supposed to do. We're not quite sure, why does the church exist? What is its purpose? What are its purposes? And so that, that lends itself to, to confusion. It lends itself to discouragement, perhaps. But if we can understand Acts 1.8, and we can understand what God has called us to, that's going to fuel us to keep on doing what He calls us to and to rely on Him for it. So it's an important truth that we need to understand that God has called us to build the kingdom. You know, we live in the most amazing period of all of history, I believe. The most amazing period in all of history. Has anyone ever asked you one of those questions, if you could choose any time to live, when would you live? Right? What do, a lot of people who are Christians will say usually what? When, when Jesus was alive, right? I would want to be one of His disciples and, and be around Him. And that's, certainly that would be fantastic. Do you know that he said it's, it's better that he goes to the Father so the Spirit could be sent? It's better that he goes and ascends to send the Spirit on his people to initiate what is called the church age, which is the age we live in. We live in the most amazing age in all of history. And that is the time between when Jesus came and died for sin and rose again and gave the Spirit from the Father through the Son to his people, that time where he started, or the word you sometimes has inaugurated the kingdom of God, the time between when he inaugurated the kingdom of God and when he'll finish it or consummate it is the most amazing time in history. Because he is right now in this time, what this time in history is for, largely is to bring in the harvest, to bring in the nations, to build the kingdom, to bring the message of the gospel to all peoples so that they might come to know Him and know the King and follow the King. There's no better time to live than in this age between the inauguration and the consummation in what's called the church age. There's no better time. So when we answer that question next time, let us answer, you know what, I think it would be right now. Because this is the age where the, the Gospel's going forth and, and members and of the kingdom, and the kingdom itself is being built and added to in all the earth. Revelation chapter 7 is a wonderful picture of what God wants to accomplish. You can turn there. Actually, we're going to show it on the overhead as well. This is what God is after. What is said in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9-12. through This is His goal. When He thinks of the fulfillment of all things, when He thinks of His kingdom, when He thinks of restored Israel in its fullness, it's not just ethnic Israel, it's all the people of God. So if you could put up that, that verse, Revelation chapter 7, I want to read through that. I want you to listen 
to what it says. This is John. He's in heaven. He's beholding what God is doing. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Who is there in heaven? Who's there worshipping God? Who are the people? If you could go back to the previous slide, John. Who's, who are the people that are there? A great multitude, right? And where are they from? Every nation. All tribes and peoples and languages. God wants to include all the nations in His kingdom. He wants to build His kingdom. How many people are there? A couple thousand? How many people? What does it say? A great multitude. How much is the great multitude? Could you number it? No. A great multitude that no one could number. God wants to fill His kingdom up, folks. He wants a great number. It isn't a small number. It's a great number. No one could number. A great multitude, no one could number. That's what He's about in this age, folks. That's what He's after. That's what He's after through us as a local church. I don't believe He's interested in a remnant here in the Merrimack Valley. I believe He's after a great number. Now, we leave that to His sovereign plans. But I see the Scriptures. I know what the Scriptures say. I know what we're called to in Acts chapter 1. I know the pattern in Acts. And I can't conclude anything but He wants the Gospel to go forth in the Merrimack Valley so that a great number will be won to Him. And there's reason for encouragement in that. This is the era where He's doing that. This is His purpose in this age. To expand the kingdom as we're witnesses in the power of the Spirit to the King and His deeds. This whole time period in the church age is a wonderful and privileged time to live. And I believe that this time in particular perhaps might be one of the greatest times in all the church age. If you look at some of the statistics right now, they're really amazing what's going on. This is unlike any other time in history for the Gospel. Right now in China, the statistics say there's 10,000 converts a day. 10,000 people coming to the Lord every day. And if you go a generation ago or two, there was hardly anybody. Mostly Buddhists and and communists too. Right now there's 10,000 converts a day. The Gospel's going forth in power in China. They have a leadership vacuum right now because there's so many new believers. They need leaders. 10,000 a day. If the statistics continue, India and China by the year 2050 will have more believers, more professing believers, evangelical believers in the United States. Put them together. They'll have more believers and they'll just keep on growing. In Latin America, there are 8,000 converts a day going on if you total up all of Latin America. 8,000 a day. And we've talked about before the miracle of Korea. One generation ago, a very small percentage, one, one million of the total people, now it's 45 million believers. And there are those who believe that, that the Christians from China and from, from Korea will lead us, the rest of the, the world, in evangelism. They will be the ones that end up reaching the rest of all the peoples. So we get to live in this era where God is working, where He's active, where the Gospel is going forth, 
where He's bringing this innumerable number into the kingdom. And we have our work for us here in New England. Our work is cut out for us. We live in an area where, I know in Massachusetts, some of the stats say it's one-tenth of one percent believers. In much of the rest of the United States, it's more like 10% or more, depending on how you count it, where here it's one one-hundredth of that. But that's, that's an opportunity. And, and really, there's, there's no better place in some ways in the United States to come with the Gospel and to, to build a church than right here, right in the middle of it. And to, to watch God do great things. So we as a church are committed to partnering with God in this mission that He has of reaching this innumerable people from all the world and in, in our area of the world as well. That's God's intention. And we want to do all we can. We want to pray. And I know we, we do. I know you guys are faithful to pray. And, and one thing that we've, we're looking to do in this coming year actually is Vision New England has, a, uh, has really re, retooled what they do. Vision New England is an organization that's been around since the days of D.L. Moody. And they were formed for evangelism in New England. And they've regrouped what they're about recently and they're focusing particularly on evangelism. And they've asked us as a local church to be part of a pilot program that they're conducting to learn how to best reach folks in New England. So this coming year, they're going to come and serve us. They're going to come and help us evaluate. They're going to come and mostly uh, meet with me and talk about my own life and and how I can lead you guys. But they're going to meet with our leaders. And they'll, they'll interact with us a little bit as a whole church just helping us to learn how to reach folks. And they're learning in the process too. This is a pilot program, but it comes from this heart. Oh God, would you do something in New England to your glory? Would you bring people to yourself? Would you cause the Gospel to go forth and bring in people? This area needs Christ. And God, I believe, is is intent on doing this. So I look forward to this year. We'll hear more of the details as we go through this and partnering with them. They're really just coming to serve us to empower us, to help us to grow in fulfilling this mission. So it's not for us to know the times or dates when it's all going to finish, but we are to receive power. We have received power by the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. And in our area, in New England, to bring the witness of the deeds, the deeds of the King, what He has done, who He is. This is what we're called to. Now, after hearing all that, I hope you're encouraged. I hope your faith is increased. Part of my desire that that our faith be built up, that we see this is God's purposes, that we think of life this way. There is this tendency sometimes, I think I've seen it in New England, because it's been difficult and challenging, we can kind of have an attitude of like, well, let's just kind of circle the wagons, you know, and try to preserve what we got, and that's not going to work, and I don't believe that pleases God. God's call is for us to go for it, to to partner with Him, to to follow Him, to rely on Him, to accomplish His purposes, to not think little, but to think big, and ask Him for big things, and and seek to obey by grace what He calls us to. So I I trust you're encouraged. I I hope that that your paradigm, your way of looking at things, and and, and mine as well, is altered by this truth, this is the heart of God to bring the Gospel to this area, to glorify His name, and to use us to reach beyond our area as well. And that's, that's my prayer. I know it's your prayer as well. 
But it wouldn't be helpful, too, if we just got all excited and, and just thought, well, let's just kind of go out and do it. Let's just pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and go out and just start doing evangelism, you know, just witnessing somehow. That, that I, don't, I don't think is what God wants us to do. There's more to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 than just be my witnesses. God has called us to build a kingdom. He's called us to be His witnesses. But what does it say at the beginning? What does Jesus call His disciples to do before they go out and witness? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God's call in this great task is to rely on the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. So He has the disciples wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Spirit to receive the Holy Spirit. And He's called us as New Covenant believers who experience the baptism as part of being believers to continue to rely on the Holy Spirit. So this task is large, what He calls us to. It's intimidating. But He's given us His Spirit. He wants us to rely on His Spirit to accomplish it. If we went out and just tried it on our own, it would be a great way just to fall flat on our face. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do something on your own and fallen flat on your face, but I have. I've tried to do things, even good things, things that are scriptural in my own power. And God is very insistent and very con- consistent in allowing us to fall flat on our face as we try to do things. So He calls us to depend on Him. Weakness is to characterize our lives. Christianity is not, is not a faith for the strong. It's for the weak. And really, if, if we don't acknowledge that, we may not be believers. Because it's the one who's weak that comes in need of a Savior. It's the one who's weak who comes to find a king to lead him or her. It's the one who is weak who depends on God. And really, being weak and realizing we're weak is just being honest. The people who are strong are not really strong. They're, they're self-deceived. They think they're strong. And maybe they get by for a while, but eventually they're going to come to the end of their rope. God wants the weak. He didn't call the strong. He didn't call the able. He didn't call the charismatic, all-competent evangelist types to Himself. He's not looking for somebody who, who has all the right message and all the right techniques and all the personality to accomplish His task. That's not who he's looking for. He doesn't want strong people. He wants the weak. He's called the weak to himself. It says it very clearly in Scripture. It's the weak he's called. It's those who are prone to doubt. Those who are prone to discouragement. Those who are even prone to disobedience. Those are the ones he wants to use. If you read the story of the Bible, that's what it is. The people of God throughout the Bible are not the all-competent ones. They're the weak ones. They're the ones who are weak and they realize they're weak and they realize they need strength. And God loves to show up when that's our case. One of the strongest men I can think of in the Bible naturally is the Apostle Paul. Just if you read his history, just great gifts, very intelligent, very able. And you know what he did with those gifts? He was the worst persecutor of the church, the worst sinner, really, in persecuting the church. So he totally failed. And he came to realize this truth of weakness. And if you read 2 Corinthians, it's a wonderful picture of Paul as he as he shares his heart. And he talks about his weakness. And he talks about despairing in Asia, even of life. He was discouraged. 
came out of, of Ephesus. There was a large persecution. We don't know all else that was going on there for him, but he was discouraged. He despaired even of life. And he says in that, in that section, the beginning of 2 Corinthians, so that we may learn to put our hope in God who raises the dead. And later on in chapter 12 in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about delighting in weakness. Because when he is weak, then he is strong. Because when we're weak and we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, you've called us to this task of evangelism in New England, one of the hardest cultures in all, all the United States, and there's only one-tenth of one percent, and I can't do it, and whenever I come to, face-to-face with the challenge, I, I, fall, I fail and I'm guilty and I feel confused and frustrated. He wants to meet us right at that point as we come to Him and say, Lord, I need something more than what I got. I need help. I need you. I need your power. And that's where He's going to meet us. And, and in care group, we were talking about this reality for us of witnessing and being discouraged. And Phil shared just, to, just I think, a, a great way to walk in that truth of being weak and dependent. And that is just to be prayerful. As you're in those places where you're realizing, I want to be used of God to expand His kingdom. I believe it's God's heart for these people to come to know His love and His truth and repent and believe. That we be prayerful, Lord, help me right now. Because I can't do it. That we don't come confident in ourselves, but we come confident in Him. See, that's why He's given the Holy Spirit. To give power, it says. But you will receive what when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Our experience is to be experiencing the power of God for the purposes of God. So as we come in evangelism, to be reliant on Him. To, to walk in that power that He's given to us. The wonderful promise of the Holy Spirit for us. It's a, it's a wonderful gift. It should encourage us. It should cause us to, to live in intentional fellowship with God. God has given us His Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have time in... in this message to talk about all that that means. There's a lot to it. Uh, and it's more than just one other message. It would be a, a whole lifetime of messages to really talk about what it means to have the Holy Spirit. But, but I think one way to kind of sum it up is that this gift is the gift of God Himself to us. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not just a power in us. It's God, the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence in us and amongst us. It's the eternal, infinite, glorious God. The Holy One. The All-Knowing One. The Powerful One. The All-Wise, the Sovereign One living in us to accomplish His purposes. It's the Holy Spirit. And He wants to, to meet us. He wants to give us power. And He wants us to live dependent on Him day by day. And for some of us, and for Christians at times, we can live apart from this truth that He's given His Holy Spirit. The Son ascended and the Son and the Father sent the Spirit to be with us. And we are to live dependent, ever dependent, ever desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's what communion with God is. It's living just in that awareness, God, I need You right now. I need You at work. I need You to help me deal with this customer. I need You to help me machine this part. I need You to help me Control the airplanes. I need you to help me work on this ceramic gadget. 
I need you to help me build the bridge or whatever it might be. I need you. It's communion with God is just is walking in awareness of our desperate dependence on Him, on God the Holy Spirit. Some of us are functional binetarians at times. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. But we don't pursue fellowship with God the Holy Spirit. We've been given God the Holy Spirit to give us power to commune with God. You know, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We can resist the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We're told not to do that. He's a person. God, the Holy Spirit. And we can, by our lack of communion, by our resistance to Him, by our ignoring Him, we can quench the Spirit. And we want to live ever aware of the Spirit and His truth and His presence in our lives, ever dependent. And one great way to do that is just to be prayerful. For me, uh, this past week, I felt like God pointed this out to me. I was just in kind of a funk. Um, Have you ever been in that place where you just kind of feel something's off? I mean, it may not be way off, but it's just kind of like something's kind of off here. I don't know what. I just don't feel the same. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not thinking of God as much as I used to, or I don't feel as happy, or that extra cup of coffee doesn't do anything for me anymore, you know, and, and you're just kind of in a funk. And, uh, and I just saw myself in this funk, and, and I was just seeking the Lord, and, and I just walked, watching myself, I felt more tempted than normal, more tempted to idolatry of different kinds. It was just, it was just something. I was like, I didn't want to do that, and I, you know, I, I wanted to be walking with God, but it was like, wow, just these idols that weren't usually as tempting are especially tempting right now. And, and I found myself just wanting to fill my heart with something besides God. And, and it was just a, it was a, a funk use the technical term. And, and in that place, I, I, just, I got some time with God just to say, Lord, help. And I felt like God addressed me and basically said that I, you know, I wasn't living sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I had neglected my time with Him. And for me, uh, one way that's important for me to, to maintain my walk is just to get daily time praying. And I hadn't been doing that. I hadn't been really getting much time in the Word in the morning. And so then I walked my day and I tried to kind of make my day work and, and I, that's why I had the, the funk thing. And then it was interesting, as I got on that, I kind of, I just totally forgot that, you know what, dummy, it may just mean that you need to get more time with the Lord. Anyhow, I, God was gracious, I think, to point that out in my quiet time. And so I went on a prayer walk and I just felt like I communed with God. And I just walked and I talked. And I just remembered His promises. I prayed for, for certain things and certain people. And I felt just restored in Him. That's the sort of thing He calls us to. That's part of why we are doing this series on Pathways of Grace. God wants to walk with us that way. He wants to walk with us in our everyday life. He wants to walk with us as we do what may seem mundane. And as we encounter people in evangelism, He wants to be there with us. And I don't know about you, but I often make the mistake of totally forgetting about God in those times of evangelism. Oh, I know what I need to do right now. I've got to do some the evangelism thing. And, and I'm just all of a sudden, there's not fellowship there. And I think that God wants to be there. He wants us to pray, God, help me right now. Know what to say. Help me to know, is this the time to bring the Gospel? Or is this the time just to love them and listen? Or is this the time to think of baking cookies for them or, or doing something somehow to shine the light? But He wants us to to walk in that sort of fellowship. He's given us His Holy Spirit. That's why the Spirit is given. The power of the Spirit is given so that we might walk with God 
and display his glory and be his people and be close to him and to know what to say when the time comes. So I believe that's part of what the Lord is talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're to receive power and we're to walk in this dependence. We are to be His witnesses. We are to seek the active presence and ministry of the Spirit in our lives, both as individuals and as a people. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the result of the power of God in us, what we are to do is to be witnesses. We are to witness. We are to to witness to the king. What, what does a witness do? What's a witness do? How, can you, how do you define what a witness is? Anyone want to go for it? Testifies, right? A witness testifies. A, a good witness, the type that you know a court of law wants, is just someone who just simply tells it as it is, right? Just tell us the facts, ma'am. Just tell us the facts, sir, right? That's what the defense lawyers or whatever always say. Just tell us the facts. That's what a witness is. Someone who tells the facts. And so God calls us to build the kingdom in the power of the Spirit by witnessing. By just telling it as it is. Just telling the facts. Tell the facts of Jesus, the King, and His deeds. And so the, the, the witnesses in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, specifically are the apostles, the disciples. And if you read their writings, they use that term. We're just, we're, we're, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter says later on, right? And, and John talks about the same, the fellowship that they have with the, with the Father and the Son and stuff. So they were witnesses. They just told the facts. This is what happened. Jesus came. He lived perfect life. He died on the cross for sins. He rose again from the dead. We saw Him. We saw Him. He's brought the kingdom. He is the King. He's proven it by His resurrection and by His death. Those are the facts. And then with those facts are He's changed our lives. So we witness. It's simple. We just tell the facts. We say the King has come. The King has come. He's died for sin. He's risen. It's a fact. It's history. And it's history that's changed my life. Let me tell you about that. We witness to the King and His deeds. We just tell the story. We tell people the reality of that. We witness it by our Lifestyle, and we witness to it by our words. They both must go together. And we just simply tell the story in the power of the Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So He empowers us to witness to, to, witness to this truth of Jesus. It's not difficult. There's not a formula there. It's just simple, simply telling the facts, the basic facts of Jesus. Died for sin, He rose again. Victorious over sin and death. You can get into all the things that come with that, but that's the, that's the core. You can talk about that. He is the King, the promised King from of old. From, from of old, He's been promised and He's come and He's fulfilled his, his, uh, the purposes of the Father. He's fulfilled all this. And He's coming back. See, the King has come and He's dealt with sin and death. And He's risen and He's calling everybody to allegiance to Him. This isn't just another option among many, many options in religion. This one has claimed and proven that He is God the Son. 
that He has dealt with man's most basic problem of sin and separation from God, that He's risen from the dead victorious, and He calls everybody now to glad allegiance to Him. So we witness to that. And that witness is going to look different for for some of us than it does from others. Some of us are going to witness perhaps to large crowds. Some of us are just going to witness to friends. We're just going to tell the facts and share life with a few friends around us. But we're all called to be witnesses to Him. We're essentially telling people the King has come. He's dealt with sin. He's proven it. The war is over. Come out of hiding. Embrace the King. That's the message that we bring. In 1974, a Japanese soldier, Hiro Onoda, finally surrendered to the American Allies after World War II. Now, we all know that Japan officially surrendered in 1945 in August, but no one was able to convince Lieutenant Onoda. So for almost 30 years, he led a guerrilla war on the island of Lubang in the Philippines, raiding rice fields, ambushing patrols. And it wasn't until his former commanding officer, now retired and a bookseller, was flown to Lubang and ordered him to surrender that Lieutenant Anoda, Anoda laid down his arms. Here's a picture of, of Lieutenant. After 30 years surrendering, that's his former commanding officer on the right, and I think that's a a Philippine uh, army officer. So for 30 years, this guy lived in the jungle, fighting a war that was already over. Fighting for a, a, a country that really no longer existed as it used to be. And it was when his former officer came and told him, it's over, it was over 30 years ago, that he finally surrendered. The reality, folks is that our world is full of Lieutenant Anotis. That the war is over. The king has already come. He's already conquered and won. Sin and death are dealt with. And there's no reason any longer to fight battles they don't have to fight for the wrong side. The king has come and he's won. And he's risen. And, and if we're not bowing our knee now to him, we're living like Lieutenant Anoda. In a fantasy. And so what we're doing is we're simply being like this commanding officer saying, surrender. The war is over. Jesus has come and He's risen. Repent and believe and, and embrace. He, he has His arms open wide to you. He's offered amnesty. Saying, come. I, I, come and receive forgiveness and walk with Me and learn to, to follow Me in My kingship and you'll know life abundant. The terms are incredible. And all it takes is just simply turning from things that are just not worth it. Turning from sin and rebellion and disobedience and destructive things and repenting. Just turning from those things and placing your faith in the King and His forgiveness and His ability to lead life, lead you in life. Terms are great. If you are yet to surrender, I encourage you to surrender to the King and follow Him. He'll never let you down. The band could come up as we close. For the rest of us, this is the message we bring. We're given power by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is given to us to dwell in us, to empower us to be His witnesses. He is very intent on building the kingdom through us. 
We live in this age, the church age, between the time when Christ has ascended and the time He's coming back and He's building His kingdom. He wants that innumerable throng to fill, to fill His temple, to fill His kingdom. And so He calls us to build the kingdom through the Spirit of God, through Spirit-empowered witness to the King and His deeds. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank You. We thank You, Lord God, that You have come, Lord Jesus, and You have conquered us. You've provided for forgiveness and eternal life. We thank You, Lord. and We thank You for this message that changed our lives. It's changing our lives. And this message that is powerful enough to bring salvation to our neighbors and our family, our friends. Lord, I pray for fresh faith for us, Your people. In the power of Your Word, of Your Gospel, and in Your intent to bring the Gospel to this area for Your glory. I pray for fresh faith, O God. And I pray, Lord, for Spirit-empowered witness. Lord, I pray this week You would give us divine opportunities to share with others the fact that the King has come and conquered. And they can come and surrender and find life in our King. So Lord, use us as a people, we pray, to witness to the King and His deeds, to the good news of Jesus Christ that many, many, many more Lieutenant Anodas might come out of the jungle into Your kingdom and worship with us here, even on Sundays, Lord, that there might be this coming year fresh converts in our midst who remind us of the power of the Gospel and Your intent to build Your kingdom for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.